0: Those tears are actually a great intro to my sermon because there is more pain in the story of Jesus' birth than we often remember. But if we did remember it, perhaps we would be less surprised when we experienced our own pains during the Christmas season. The idealized pictures of Christmas that are constantly crafted for us, not only set us up for disappointment, frustration, and disillusionment with our own lives, but are also out of sync with the truth of the real Christmas story. Think about what it was like for Mary and Joseph. Joseph almost divorced Mary when he found out that she was pregnant. He knew the child was not his, and so it seemed like there was only one thing for him to do. But an angel intervened and told him that in this instance, it was not what he thought, but that the baby in Mary's womb had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's quite a bit of pain, drama, surprise. But that certainly wasn't all. Caesar's decree meant that Mary and Joseph had to leave Nazareth in Galilee and travel to Bethlehem in order to be registered for Caesar's taxes. And they had to travel all that way even though Mary was expecting. And of course, travel at that time was not nearly as easy as it is for us now. When they got there, we know that there was no room for them in the inn. But even beyond that, when Herod got word of Jesus' birth, that the Messiah had been born, he gave orders for soldiers to go into Bethlehem and destroy all the baby boys who had been born recently there. Joseph and Mary escaped with Jesus by fleeing to Egypt because they were warned by an angel in a dream. And don't forget what happened when Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple when he was just a baby. And a man named Simeon, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, met them there. And it says in Luke chapter 2 that Simeon blessed them "...and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed." It's not exactly what you want to hear about your baby boy, right? And then he said, "...and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." In other words, if the Christmas story is a rose, we often try to remove the thorns, but the thorns are there. You could even say that the crown of thorns casts its shadow all the way back to the manger in Bethlehem. So as we look at Matthew's version of the Christmas story this morning in Matthew chapter 1, I want us to pay attention not only to the beauty and the glory that's in the Christmas story, but also to the pain and the heartache that is there, both in the life of Mary and Joseph and then ultimately in the life of Jesus himself. The Gospel of Matthew starts in an interesting and surprising way. In verse 1 of Matthew 1, it says, "...the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham." Now, if you're not into genealogies, that sounds like a really boring way to start a story, right? But if we know what's going on and we know what Matthew is saying, it is actually a very dramatic and significant statement. First of all, we tend to think of Jesus Christ being Jesus' full name, but it's not. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. Christ means anointed one. Christ means Messiah. So Matthew is coming right out of the gate saying, I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, is the Messiah, is the one promised all throughout the Old Testament. He is finally here. And part of what is significant about that is that this Jesus comes from the line of David and comes from the line of Abraham. Now if he is the Christ, the promised one from David's line and the promised one from Abraham's line, that means a couple of really important things. First of all, by saying he's the Messiah, the promised offspring, he's tying Jesus all the way back to that first promise in Genesis 3.15 of the male child who would be born, who would crush the serpent's head, who would defeat our enemy, the one who brought uh, sin and death into the world in the first place when he tempted Adam and Eve. He's going to be crushed. He's going to be defeated through the birth of a baby boy. And Matthew's saying, Jesus is that baby boy. That child we've been waiting for for not only centuries but millennia, he is finally here. And he's come from the line of Abraham, which means this is the one, this is the child through whom God is going to bless all the earth. After sin came into the world, God spoke a curse on the world and even on the earth itself. Right, We're told that the earth is going to bring forth thorns and thistles as Adam works the ground. The ground itself is cursed. But then God speaks to Abraham and he says to Abraham, not only am I going to give you a lot of children, numerous offspring, not only am I going to give you the land, the promised land of Canaan, But I'm also going to bless you, and I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. And through Abraham's offspring. So Matthew is saying, Jesus is the one through whom God is going to bless all the earth. Now think about this. Matthew is starting his book by saying, God's going to bless the whole world through this man, Jesus. Who's born in this little place? right, This little town. We literally, literally sing, right? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. This baby born in this little town, how is God going to bless all the world through him? Well, when we get to the end of the book of Matthew, the very last thing that Jesus says and does is he gives his disciples what we call the Great Commission. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of who? All nations, right? The whole world, all the families of the earth. So Matthew's saying at the beginning and at the end, this is the one, Jesus is the one, through whom God is going to bless all the earth. And not only that, but he's the son of David. And God promised to David that there would come a son from his line who would not only be king, because that's true of Solomon, but who would sit on David's throne and reign forever, and his kingdom would be established forever. And Matthew's saying, Jesus is that son of David, Jesus is that king whose reign will know no end. His kingdom will be eternal, it will be everlasting. No king will ever replace him, no kingdom will ever ever conquer his, no one will ever uh, overcome him. He will be king and his kingdom will last forever. In other words, Matthew's saying, if you want to know what God is up to in the world, if you want to know how God is fulfilling his promises, if you want God's blessing on your life, and if you want to be on the side of the one who is the king of all the universe and not be against him, but be with him, there's one person you need to know. Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one. God's blessing comes through him. He's the king who every knee is going to bow before and every tongue is going to confess to. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one you need to know. All that is just in that first little verse. And then Matthew tells us the story of Jesus' birth starting in verse 18. And he says, uh, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. is from the Holy Spirit. So this child was born in a uniquely unusual way. There are some surprising and unusual births in the Bible. Even starting with Abraham. Abraham and Sarah were promised by God uh, numerous offspring, as many as the uh, stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. But Sarah was barren. And before they had a child, they had both become advanced in years, right? They were old. They were too old to have children. And even when they were younger, Sarah had been unable to have children. And yet God insisted, God promised that Abraham and Sarah would have a son. And eventually they did. Isaac. And throughout the Old Testament, there are um, women in Abraham's line who were barren for a time. And then God opened their womb and gave them... A son gave them a child. And even in the New Testament, uh, Luke tells us about before the birth of Jesus and before the angel announced to Mary that she would have a child, an angel spoke to Zechariah, who was married to a woman named Elizabeth. She was also barren. And the angel said to Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth would have a son. And they would call his name John. It would be John the Baptist. And when Mary is told by the angel Gabriel that she is going to bear a son and she's trying to get her mind around that, the angel says to her, well, your relative Elizabeth who was barren, she's expecting, she's pregnant, she's going to have a baby in just a few months because what is impossible with man is possible with God. There is nothing that is too hard for the Lord and this is the most significant, most surprising, most challenging, the climactic, surprising birth in the Bible when it's not just a barren woman who conceives, but a virgin who conceives and bears a son, God's own son, who's conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit. And then the angel tells Joseph what to name his son in verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for, or because, he will save his people from their sins. Now the name Jesus in the New Testament is the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament. And the name Joshua and the name Jesus, they both mean something like God saves, Yahweh saves. And so Joseph is told to name his son Jesus because... God is going to save. And not just God is going to save, but God the Son, who's going to be born of Mary, He, Jesus, is going to save His people from their sins. Now how is He going to do that? What does it mean that He's going to save His people from their sins, and what is that going to look like? Well, there's one more name that the angel gives to Joseph to help us understand how he will be able to save his people from their sins. When it says, verse 22, or excuse me, not not the angel, but this is just um, prophecy from Isaiah. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which Matthew helpfully tells us means God with us. Now, many of the names in the Bible have significant meanings and they are tied somehow to God, right about who God is and what God's going to do. But in this case, it's not just that the name Emmanuel is applied to Jesus to remind us that God is with us. The name Emmanuel is applied to Jesus because Jesus is God who has come to be with us who has come to dwell among us. And because he is God with us, he can save us in a way that nobody else possibly could have done. He has come to save us, which also means he has come to die. We know from the Old Testament that for sin to be atoned for, something had to die. And the book of Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. everywhere in the Old Testament, when sin is dealt with, right, there's sacrifice typically involved. There's blood typically involved. And so when Simeon told Mary that not only her was her son going to be opposed, but that a sword would pierce her own soul, what could he have been referencing? Most likely, the death of her son. Not just any death, but a sacrificial death. A death where his blood would be shed so that the blessing of God could flow to all the nations of the earth as they receive the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus was not caught off guard by this. Jesus knew this. Jesus embraced this. Jesus intentionally, purposefully, went to the cross to lay down his life. In fact, he told his disciples later in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 20, verse 28, they're arguing about, you know, which one of them is the greatest. Which one of them is going to be at Jesus' right hand in the kingdom. Which, who, who's going to be prime minister, right? That kind of thing. And Jesus has a completely different perspective on what is coming. He knows what's coming. The disciples think they do, they don't really. He knows what is coming, and so he tells them this. He he says, the Son of Man came not to be served. I didn't come to sit on a throne and have a bunch of people serve me, and me be at the center of everything, and everybody else have to do stuff for me. That's not why I'm here. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, that's why I'm here. That is why I came. I came to give my life, to lay down my life for the sake of others, to ransom others, to redeem others. Well, redeem them from what? Ransom them from what? Well, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, it spells this out for us real plainly. It says, since therefore the children, talking about us, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, he, he didn't have a body, he didn't have flesh and blood, right? God is spirit. But he took on flesh and blood. Like Crawford read for us earlier, right? He, the Word, took on flesh. Why did he do that? The Hebrews goes on. He likewise partook of the same things that, here's the purpose, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through who, through, excuse me who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus took on flesh and blood, for the very purpose of dying. As God, He can't die. But as man, He can. And somebody had to die. And He didn't want us to experience death eternally, the full consequences of our sin. And so He took on flesh and blood. He became man. He remained God, but now He was also man, the God-man And he did that so that by dying, he could destroy Satan. And again, going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the serpent's going to bruise his heel, but he is going to crush the serpent's head. He crushes the serpent, Satan, as he dies. And not only that, but he then delivers us. He rescues us because we were afraid of death and therefore subject to slavery, but now we've been set free because death is not going to have the last word for us because Jesus died for us and then rose again for us so that we don't experience death forever, but life forever through Him. He talked about this again, Jesus did, on the night before He went to the cross. He sat down with His disciples. They were eating the Passover meal together. We call it the Last Supper, right? And Matthew says in Matthew 26, He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It's hard to get more specific than that. Jesus taking a cup at a meal And saying, you see this? This is my blood. It's going to be poured out. And the reason it's going to be poured out is so that I can purchase for you the forgiveness of your sins. So that I can pay for you the penalty that your sins deserve. So that I can take in your place the death that you deserve. I'm going to take your sin, your guilt, your punishment upon my shoulders. My blood is going to be poured out. My life is going to be laid down so that you can have forgiveness and life forever. And then, after he dies and rises from the dead, that's when he meets with his disciples and says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Why? Because that's the only way that all the nations of the earth are going to hear about Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the King, Jesus who laid down his life so that we could have our sins forgiven, Jesus who died so that we could live. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why Christmas is a great time to have the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, right? Because that's when we're reminded of why we're sending these people out, why we're commissioning them, why we're supporting them, why we're praying for them, because they are taking to the ends of the earth the good news of not only the birth, but the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and telling people if you will repent of your sin and you will trust in Jesus, you will be forgiven. All the guilt that you bear, all the sin you've committed, He will take care of it if you will turn to Him. If you will trust Him. From the very beginning, this was God's plan. To bless all the families of the earth through the birth of His Son. So the reason why there is so much pain in the Christmas story, and why there is so much pain in our own stories, is that the world is broken and it's broken because of sin and sin wreaks havoc in the world and in our lives and the curse that came upon the earth because of our sin has not yet been lifted. But that is why Jesus came. To pay for our sin. To take our curse. To suffer death in our place and then rise victorious over death. So that one day, we can and will, if we trust in Him, live in a world without sin, without death, without the curse. And what a glorious day that will be.